Good morning everyone, my name is Malcolm Richards, I'm one of the regulars here at Earlwood Anglican. Let's pray as we prepare ourselves to look at God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Lord. As we look at this passage from Hebrews chapter 9, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us through your Spirit to understand your Word so that we can be better disciples of Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. So the temple in Jerusalem, they tell me, is an incredible building. It was finally destroyed by the Romans in AD 70 after being there since the time of Ezra. And it was an amazing building. But I've also heard it said that if we were able to go back in a time machine and have a look at the temple, it wouldn't actually be the temple buildings that amazed us so much. It wouldn't also be the incredible view from the Temple Mount or the vestments that the priests wore. Now, the thing that would amaze us most is the stench, the smell of dead animals and blood. You see, the main function of the temple was to make sacrifices to the Lord for the people of Israel. Goats, sheep, bulls, pigeons even. They didn't just drain the animal's blood, but the high priest splashed it around all over the, all over the altar and the most holy place. It was a gory affair and there was a stench of death. Well, with that introduction, our passage today is taken from Hebrews chapter 9. And it does refer to these Old Testament sacrifice practices, but it is primarily about a different sacrifice. The wonderful and amazing sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who died and shed his blood so that we might be forgiven. Jesus, you see, is both high priest, but also the sacrifice. Horrible in so many ways, but good news for sinners. So come with me as our teacher, the author of the book of Hebrews, explains this whole business of the sacrifice of Jesus and how through this sacrifice, Jesus gets our forgiveness. Well, before we get going, let's just have a brief little think about what's going on in the book of Hebrews. We're in the middle of a large section uh, of the book, which goes from chapter 4, verse 14, to chapter 10, verse 18. And this huge section of the book explores the subject of Jesus as high priest. The writer of Hebrews is explaining to us that everything that happened in the Old Testament was preparation and looked forward to what Jesus was going to bring. That Jesus would come as the true high priest. That Jesus would bring the true covenant 
that Jesus would do his work as high priest in the true tabernacle. And in today's chapter, that Jesus presents himself as the true sacrifice for sins. So as we begin to look at this chapter, chapter 9, verses 1 to 28, we'll see four main sections in the passage. The first section goes from verses 1 to 10, and I've entitled this, This Setting the Scene. The second part of the chapter is verses 11 to 15, where the author looks at the great sacrifice of Christ. The third section is verses 16 to 22, the cost of forgiveness. And the last section to round off the chapter, verses 23 to 28, it is finished. And after that, we'll just see how this passage is applied to us as Christians today. So let's begin in verses 1 to 10, setting the scene. This chapter opens with a description of the Old Testament tabernacle, the holy place and the holy of holies or the most holy place, where the altar, the Ark of the Covenant, and the mercy seat were situated. This most holy place is the realm of the Old Testament high priest and where sacrifices are made. From verses 6 to 7, the author describes these Old Testament sacrifices in the most holy place, how the high priest entered there once a year and made sacrifices not only for his own sins, but for the sins of the people. Well, the first seven verses are a warm-up as the writer gets up to the main points that he wants to make about these Old Testament sacrifices. And I'm going to concentrate on verses 9 and 10. Let me read those for you again. This, that is the Old Testament sacrifices, is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. We've already been told in chapter 8 verse 5 that all that happened in the Old Testament sacrificial system was a copy and a shadow of the true business that the high priest would do in Jesus Christ. Now the author tells us in verses 9 and 10 that this earthly sacrifice where the Old Testament high priest worked is an illustration or a parable for us, explaining to us how the real heavenly sanctuary and the real sacrifice that is coming will operate. This parable or illustration pointing forward was actually not able itself to fix the problem of sin. 
Remember, it says in the verse, it was not able to clean the consciences of those who made the sacrifices. But it was there to fulfill the Old Testament law in making people ritually clean. We get more information about this in verse 13. So there's an obvious question, isn't there? If these sacrifices in the Old Testament didn't actually clean the consciences of sinners, why did God order Moses to do these sacrifices? Well, the answer is that these sacrifices ordered by God through Moses were never intended to fulfill the problem of sin, to completely get rid of the problem of sin. That was always the job of Jesus. No, these Old Testament sacrifices, as the author explains, looks forward and explains to us what Jesus was going to come and do, so that when Jesus actually did come, we could understand what he achieved. So let's look now at what Jesus did achieve in verses 11 to 15. These verses explain the real sacrifice that the whole Old Testament was preparing us for, the sacrifice of God's only Son, Jesus Christ. Unlike the Old Testament high priest, Jesus does not sacrifice the blood of animals. He sacrifices his own blood, that is, his very own life. We heard in verse 9 that Old Testament sacrifice was not able to clean the conscience. Compare this to verse 14, which announces with triumph that Christ's perfect, unblemished sacrifice offered through the Holy Spirit does finally deal with sin and its consequences. Listen to verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. Christ's sacrifices, sacrifice does cleanse the conscience. And it deals with death and opens the way for us to serve the living God. This section finishes with verse 15 which is a very important verse. Let me read that. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. First of all, in this verse, the author explains that Having achieved what he achieved with his own sacrifice of his own life, Jesus is the one who establishes the best covenant, the new covenant, 
that gives us an eternal inheritance. But not only that, he lets us know that Christ's death covers the sins not only of those who live during Jesus' life and after Jesus' life, but it actually covers the sins of those who lived before Jesus lived in the Old Testament. This confirms that when sinners in the Old Testament approached God with faith and made these earthly sacrifices, God forgave them not because of the earthly sacrifice, but because of Jesus' sacrifice that was to come. They knew nothing of this, but God could forgive them because of the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make. And so we see even the people in the Old Testament were saved by grace. Christ's sacrifice dealt with the problem of sin for all people for all time. The next section, verses 16 to 22, explains about the cost of forgiveness. While this great sacrifice of Jesus brings incredible results, the defeat of sin and new life for all people in all times, the writer doesn't want us to forget how great this salvation is and at what a cost it was for Jesus to bring it to us. The Son of God had to die a horrific death and we must never lose sight of how big this sacrifice is and how costly it was for God. One question that people often ask is, why in God's economy does he need Jesus to actually die in order to forgive us? And the writer helpfully explains to us in verse 22 that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. Let me read verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The lessons we learn from the Old Testament that blood was necessary for forgiveness and for cleansing sin points us towards this terrible truth that nothing short of Christ's blood, his death on the cross, could possibly deal with this huge problem of sin. Christ's death is the cost that had to be paid for forgiveness. And now we get to the last few verses of this chapter, which are again very important. Verses 23 to 28. Remember, as Jesus hung on the cross, his last words were, It is finished. 
This chapter, this description of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, closes with the same announcement by the writer to the Hebrews. That there is no more sacrifice necessary for sin. Christ's one sacrifice is sufficient for all the sins of humankind for all time for those who put their trust in Jesus. At the end of the chapter, the author announces that Jesus will come again. But he won't come again in order to repeat the sacrifices. But he'll come again to take all his faithful ones into his new kingdom. The sacrifice, that role of the high priest, is finished. Christ does not need to, to sacrifice himself again and there never has to be another sacrifice for human sin. Christ has done it all. So how does this apply to us? Well, let's look at a few points of application. First of all, I want to suggest that this passage should drive us to thankfulness and praise. As we read this chapter, we are confronted with the seriousness of sin. Sin isn't just a trivial problem. It is a gigantic problem and so much so, so huge, that God has to send his very own son to shed his blood to fix the problem. Once we fully understand this, once we understand the beauty of this sacrifice, that's when we can respond with thankfulness, worship and service. That is an appropriate response, isn't it? For such a great sacrifice. This passage, however, should also drive us to confidence. Confidence in the gospel, but also confidence in our standing before God. You see, if Christ has really finished this job of dealing with sin, and if sin really is defeated, we can have absolute certainty that if we do as we are told and put our faith in Christ, that the job is done. Our sins are forgiven. And we do have a place with Christ in his kingdom. And we can be confident that this gospel is true. The best news for sinners. With thankfulness, with great confidence, all that's left now is for us to go and announce it to others. Why on earth would we keep this news to ourselves if this sacrifice is such wonder and of such effectiveness? Why would we not announce this to the whole world? And so... As a parish, 
we obviously want to support the proclamation of this gospel. That's why we're having Christianity explored. That's why we're supporting missionaries like Chris and Steph in Chile. As a congregation, our response in our thankfulness and worship and service of God will be to promote the proclamation of this gospel to the ends of the earth. So can I encourage you to not only do that yourself, but support our missionaries as they do that on our behalf. Well, let's pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for this incredible sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you that through this chapter in Hebrews, we can understand what the Old Testament is pointing to, that Jesus, as he sheds his blood, deals with sin permanently and opens the way for everybody who puts their faith in him to have their sins forgiven. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.